0: Hey, good morning. Hey, just real quick again, want to invite you back next week to the series that we're doing on relationships, especially if you're single, uh, to be in the room, uh, have this conversation. But here's the part you need to hear. If you're not single, uh, you still want to be in this room, because if you stop and think about it, we're all in relationships. And uh, although we're going to do this in the context of being single, we're going to be talking about stuff like, when is it time to put up boundaries? Uh, to keep things healthy. What do you do when the other person is bringing a whole bunch of baggage uh, to the relationship? So, the reality is you and I navigate these very same issues all over the place with our friends, with our… all the time because it's a relationship series. It's just that in the context of dating and choosing someone to spend the rest of your life with, it's critical that you get it right the first time. So, Everybody's invited back. You're going to want to be here. I guarantee you it's going to have some stuff that's going to help you. Married 10 years, 20 or 30, it doesn't matter because it's relationships on the deal. Hey, uh, we've got Tim Brown in the house today. Yeah. So just in case you've been living under a rock for the last 20 years or maybe you just don't get football. So let me, let me tell you a little bit about this guy It's about to come out on stage. Uh, he wins the Heisman Trophy Coming out of college, which simply means this: that year he was the best college player in the entire uh, nation. He's drafted in the first round. He ends up playing 17 seasons in the NFL, guys. I, how do you how do you stay healthy? It's 17 seasons. He ends up scoring over 100 touchdowns, 14,000 receiving uh, yards, and then guys nine, nine Pro Bowls. I mean, it's just a crazy, absurd, unbelievable career. So do me a favor. Would you just give a cornerstone welcome, Tim Brown.
1: Appreciate you. So I, I hear there are no Raider fans in here today. Yeah. That's what I hear. No Raider Nation. Yeah, so. we
0: would have known because it would have had like spikes. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So. Calm, it's
1: gonna be a calm cr- crowd then, <laughs> so you know, no problem.
0: Okay, so here's a, you and I are, are uh, uh, golfing yesterday, and it becomes uh, really obvious that you are just one of those guys who is good at everything <laughs> that you do. So I just want to officially say we hate you.
1: I, no, I'm teasing. <laughs> Hold on, but I have to tell you guys that your pastor is serving you well. He is not spending time on the golf course. You guys are happy. <laughs> You don't have to worry. That's not what's happening, so. <laughs> okay, okay. If we're going there, then I just got to ask. Gloves okay. off. So,
0: so, pink golf shoes, Tim. Pink uh, golf uh, shoes. I'm thinking, okay, The ladies like black, it? The ladies,
1: come on. Pink
0: golf shoes. I'm calling you out, dude. Uh,
1: it's her fault. Blame it on my wife. Uh, she tells me, I know you're not going to play good all the time, so you, you need to look good. So. <laughs> so that's how we do it okay
0: so yesterday was cool because i learned a whole bunch of things about you that i i would have never thought. i would mm-hmm. have never uh, known so uh here's the first one that i thought was really really interesting you grow up in texas so just like the typical Texas kid, you're, you're dreaming to go to University of Texas. Sure. I mean, that's what you do. You end up instead at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And then the coach, uh, Jerry Faust, who you were recruited under, Jerry moves on. He's not mm-hmm. there anymore. Uh, and then a guy by the name of Lou Holtz uh, comes to coach there at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. But for you, this is an amazing, life-changing moment because of how... Uh, Lou Holtz treats you, so tell well, us a little yeah, bit about that.
1: You know, I, you have to understand that when, uh, when Lou Holtz got there, I was in a position in my mind that I was on pace to graduate. I went to the university to, to get a great degree. I didn't go there to go to the NFL. My, my objective was to graduate, and I was on pace to graduate. I was playing a little football. I wasn't playing great football, but I was playing. Uh, but when he got there, we had gone through winter practice, and uh, when we got on the field and put the pads on, after two days of practice, he came up to me and said that he thought I could be the best player in the country. I hmm. do Not know the name. I wasn't even the best player on Notre Dame's team at that time. And he was telling me I could be the best player in the country. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, new coach. He knows I'm a good guy. He's heard that at least. So he's trying to get me on his team. He's you know, just
0: hyping you up. Hyping he's just up. trying to get you to play a little harder. That's, yeah, you know, that's the
1: song. Right. So... For me, two, for, the, for the next two weeks, every day, he would bring me in the office, he would show me what I was doing mm-hmm. on the practice field and tell me, you know, he's been in Arkansas, he's been in Minnesota, he's been all around the country, he's coached in the NFL, he hasn't yeah. seen guys with this kind of ability. So after about two weeks, I'm thinking, you know, I'm coming out to the practice field, you know, like uh, I'm going to be the best player in the country, you know? <laughs> and, and I started to practice that way. I, try, mm-hmm. I started to treat my teammates like that. Yeah. And, and uh, I think just from that, now all of a sudden, you get to the football season, and you, know, you are returning kickoffs for a touchdown. And, and you are you know, scoring long passes and doing these things. So now you're really buying into it. And right. from that point on, I thought I was you know, untouchable. And, right. And uh, so I tell him all the time, every time I see him, he gets mad at me because I, I bow to him and say, thank you so much. And he always tells me, hey, you know, anybody who came in would have seen what I've seen. But uh, thankfully, I had a guy like him who, who really made something out I'm just, I'm just out thinking it. how
0: powerful that is because, I mean, literally your life changes yeah. because this guy can see something in you and he begins to mm-hmm. tell you that. And I just wonder how many people that God has placed in our lives that are sure. around us that if you and i if we just simply turn and said look i see something remarkable Mm -hmm. in you i i see this incredible capacity to help others i see this amazing ability to say the right word that if you and i spoke that into Mm -hmm. them and helped them understand what god had gifted them with what how you might just change that life by simply being that
1: voice yeah i mean being a father that's one of the things that we're called to do and uh, I. I was saying earlier, you know, I have a 23-year-old son who just graduated college with a biology degree, hmm. and he walks around with his head down. Hmm. And I'm, I'm constantly reminded, him, hey, you're a brother with a, a biology degree. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you're ahead of the game right now. Yeah. So, but constantly you have to encourage him and encourage the kids to, to keep moving forward. So certainly there are other people in your yeah. life that, that, that that's, uh, that's appropriate for also. Wow.
0: Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, you end up winning the Heisman Trophy. Best player coming out of college that year.
1: Uh, you end up... As to, a receiver. No as, receiver had ever done that. I, yeah. Not that, you know, that matters. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> you're coming out. You win the Heisman as a receiver. And uh, uh, you end up drafted uh, by the Raiders first mm-hmm. round. And here's the incredible thing is that I just thought the, the Raiders always drafted whoever won the Heisman <laughs> right. Trophy, the but, what, player, right. but what you told me was is that the, that Al Davis in particular, the owner of the Raiders, really didn't want you uh, on his team, that actually how you ended up there was a, a guy by the name of Mike Shanahan mm-hmm. was coaching at the time, and Mike Shanahan wanted you, but Al Davis really didn't want you on the Raider team, so tell us a little bit about yeah, that. You
1: know- I had a problem with, uh, with players from Notre Dame, in particular African-American players, because there have been some guys from Notre Dame who had taken their degree and came to the NFL, got the signing bonus, realized oh, I probably can make more money on Wall Street at the time than I can playing in the NFL, so I'm going to do that. Uh, so he was afraid of that. He was afraid of me, you know, playing two or three years, and all of a sudden deciding I don't need this anymore. Uh, so he told them, when I failed, hmm. then that was going to be on their heads, not my head. So. Wow. Um, it was just a motiva- motivating factor for me. I mean, so I didn't
0: think about the, the contrast here. You're, you're in college. Your coach is telling you you can be the best, the best player best, in the country. Right. Now you get to the pros and the owner doesn't even want you on his squad. I mean, talk about And he has to pay
1: me. And that's, yeah. that's really not a good combination. But, you know, it, it was tough, you know, and, you know, it was a situation for me where I just knew that I wanted to prove this guy wrong. Hmm. No matter no matter what so idea, here, I did, I Here's to what I
0: love about your story. So here you are. You're playing for the Raiders. Al Davis doesn't sure he wants you. The first time you touch a football as a pro player, tell us what happens.
1: That very opening kickoff of the 1988 football season, I returned the kickoff 97 yards for a touchdown. Yeah. So, you know, I, I scored a touchdown. I look up at the at the at the at the booth. Ah, Davis take that hey, you know, fail, you think I'm gonna fail take that <laughs> no it was uh it was quite I had a great rookie year broke gale Sayers record, a record that still stands today and and I uh, really was, I was able to get in the nFL and do what I wanted to do, but still i I had a problem with that relationship
0: with, mm-hmm. with mr Davis. That's interesting on the deal, okay, so here's the thing I. Uh, you were we were talking and i was just saying hey tell me about something you remember in a game you know because Mm -hmm. none of us gets to get chance to get down in the huddle and 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 do that and uh you told me a story about playing a game in tennessee Mm -hmm. uh that you'll always remember tell us about that a little
1: bit well we're playing tennessee is when houston had just moved to uh to tennessee so um it's a september game we're playing in memphis it's very hot, and I'm having a very difficult time staying in the game because it's so hot and I'm dehydrated. I'm taking uh, IVs. And well, you told me
0: you had two IVs two, that yes, day, right? Yes,
1: I had two IVs, and um, um, so, and I'm having a great game. So, I'm trying to stay in because the, you know, the numbers are looking good. So, yeah. I like that part of it. But um, so, it's towards the end of the game. We're coming back. We, we need a touchdown to score. I literally catch four or five passes in a row to get us down to uh, inside the uh, 10-yard line. We get moved back. We have fourth and goal from the 10-yard line. So they call a timeout, we go to the sideline, and the coach says, okay, Orlando, who was the other receiver at the time, they said, they're gonna be keying on Tim, so we're gonna come to you. And Orlando was like, you know, okay, it's about time y'all come to me, I'm I'm ready. So, uh, So we go up to the huddle, and Jeff George is calling the play in the huddle, and I hear Orlando going, tch, tch. and he's like, switch, switch. Because the, the original play so was for me to be in the slide and for Orlando to be out here, and for him, everybody's going to congregate around me and they're going to throw the ball to him. So
0: he's freaking out about he's being out. the player yeah. at the last the, down, and now he's asking you to switch yes. with him.
1: From the sideline to the huddle, he is totally freaking freaked out. out. Okay, You know, he's sweating bullets for real. I mean, he's just, you know. So he's like, I, I don't want to be, you know you got to switch with me. So we leave the huddle, and I'm pulling him, and he's tugging me because I'm trying to get him to go out there. To his spot. To his spot. And he decides he doesn't want to go out there, so I have to go out there. So Jeff George knows he can't throw the ball to Orlando Truett because he's done. Mentally, he he wants no part of this game. And uh, so I have three guys around me. He throws the ball up. I go up. I get my hands on the ball, and I just get shellacked. I mean, I got hit low, high, and when I came to, I was clutching the ball like this, and I knew I had scored, but uh, it, was, uh, it was quite the moment, that's for sure. Wow.
0: Okay, <laughs> so also, we know that there's more that goes on with you guys than just what happens on the field. There's, there's kind of some of the off-the-field yeah. shenanigans stuff yeah. that happens on the field, and you were telling me something about... Quarterback Jeff Hostetler and some rats. Well, tell us, tell tell you, us you that know, story.
1: A lot of the stories that happened in the locker room, you can't be told here, that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, but this one story, uh, we were in training camp in the mid-90s, and Jeff Hostetler and Howie Long were the two biggest kids I've ever been around. I mean, they were just, you know, every down moment, they would find a way to, to make fun of each other. So this one, one particular day, uh, Jeff decided that he was going to go to the store and get fish, and he was going to hide it at Howie's room. So and he did that. He hid it under the cover, so Howie is like turns room up and couldn't find the the fish anywhere and finally gets in his bed and he's laying with that dead fish. So <laughs> so um, Howie didn't like that too much. So what he decided to do, he went to the pet store the next day and he bought six or seven rats. And Howie got a drill, the rooms were right next door to each other, he got a drill and he drilled a hole through the wall. Through the wall and put, put the rats in Jeff's room, and told Jeff to go to, you know. And so we're all in the, all the uh, veteran guys are, uh, have the first floor, so we're just hanging out because we know what's about to happen. So, oh Jeff, yeah, go to your room, man. You know, Jeff goes to his room, and in about three seconds, all we hear is, ah! <laughs> <laughs> he is yelling like a five-year-old girl because <laughs> these rats and are taking the. he about, running out of the room, and ran the room, down, down the hallway. The hallway. <laughs> It was, uh, you know, it was one. And that's what we did for fun. That's how we passed time <laughs> in, in training camp. So it was amazing. So
0: here's, here's what I found interesting in your story, Tim, is that in the middle of this, so, I mean, you're, you're you know, this isn't when you're in full stride. You're, you're going to Pro Bowls. Your career is going great. In the middle of this, you begin to get to a dark place. You begin mm-hmm. to get to a place where you go, man, I, I am just not fulfilled by this at the way that I thought I'd be fulfilled. Mm. I'm not real happy with how I'm living my right. life. Right. Describe that dark place to us and what
1: well, happened I, there. I literally got to the, to the point in my life where I couldn't look at myself in the mirror, hmm. uh, where those things that need to be d- done in the morning, I had to do them in the dark because I could not... Uh, face the guy and that I, I was looking and
0: at. And I asked you about the church. I said, Tim, you're telling me you literally didn't literally, want to see yourself yeah. in the mirror. Literally, and you said, I, No, yeah. I, have, I avoided looking in the yeah. mirror. I didn't want to see my own face. You know,
1: born and raised in church, knew the right things to do, um, just chose not to do them. Um, and it was getting to the point where it was eating me up. And mm. now I was starting to see that my actions were affecting other people in a negative way. and. And at some point, you have to say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are you going to do here? Are you going to keep hurting people, hurting yourself, or are you going to do what's right? And, um, and I decided I needed to do what was, what was right. And mm-hmm. uh, it was a very difficult decision because you cannot take that decision lightly when you're talking about dealing uh, with the NFL locker room. Right. I mean, and so
0: as you described to me yesterday, you said, basically, you started looking and realizing that there were wounded people in mm-hmm. your life that, that live in the NFL high life you were leaving casualties behind.
1: Wreckage. I mean, yeah. it was just things you were doing. You think, every, you go into a relationship thinking everybody is clear what the, uh, what the plan is here, but at some point it may change for that person, even though it doesn't change for you. And when you see that person crying and hurting over your actions, I mean, uh, you know, I have, I have a mom, I have four sisters, you know, at some point I knew I wanted to have daughters. Um, you know, I couldn't see Mm -hmm. them being treated the way I was treating these young ladies. So it was a situation for me where I knew that I had to do something different. I I had to change my life because, uh, this was going to be the end of me in some, in some, in some way. So how old are you at this point? Twenty, 28. Okay. So you're 28 and,
0: and all of a sudden you're saying, okay, I've got to make I've got to make a legitimate life-changing decision about jesus christ so mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah and for me you know being born and raised in the church you know wednesday friday all day sunday and in, uh, in the church that i grew up so it wasn't like i had to go and learn a whole bunch of things i had been taught uh in a in a very uh real way i believe so uh so it was just a matter of saying okay this is what i'm going to do now again I can do that in the off-season when I'm home. Now, going to an NFL locker room, and now you're talking about a, a Raider NFL locker room, which is a little different than <laughs> just a normal locker room, uh, you, you know there are going to be things you're going to have to deal with. Right. And uh, those guys you were going out with and doing mm-hmm. those things with before, all of a sudden you're not doing those things. So now they're going to question your motives and, oh, now you think you're too good for us. And, and being a captain of the team, I had to deal with a whole bunch of different folks. So how do you do that? And let them know i'm not going to deal with you the same way i dealt with you here's the
0: part i think is so important about this portion of your story tim is that you grew up in church yes so you already knew you knew all the bible Mm -hmm. answers you knew that whenever the teacher asked the question most of the time the Mm
1: answer is jesus you know you knew that right (laughs) and and, wjd bracelet yeah so,
0: (laughs) so and yet at 25 what you or 28 yes okay what you come to realize you go hey wait wait a minute um, I'm not really in. Mm. See, I, I've been a church person, and I know a whole bunch, of, yeah. but I haven't made a decision about being in a legitimate relationship right. with Jesus. Here's why I think that's so powerful. I guarantee you there are people sitting in this room right now who are on that path. They, mm-hmm. they, maybe they've been in church or they've done some stint in church, mm-hmm. and they go, okay, you know, I, I think I'm a God person, or, mm-hmm. but they have never truly said no, 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 no. I'm going to make my own decision. Absolutely. And I'm going to be in with Jesus, and this is, this is my life t- decision. That's different, isn't it, Tim? That's
1: That's totally different because now people are going to see a difference in you. Yeah. And I knew I was making a difference when people were questioning what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is this that you're doing that no one else is doing? I, I have one uh, player in particular, Charlie Garner, who questioned me, who called me out initially and said, you're just faking like everybody else is faking. You're doing this for whatever reason, just like everybody else I've been around. And after- Rubbing a little Jesus rub, on your career, yeah, you know, so just, you know, you know, on, You know, when we have Bible study during the week, we probably have four or five people. On game day, when it's time to pray, the whole team is in there. Everybody wants, yeah. wants Jesus to help them then. <laughs> so, even in the even Raider locker Raiders. room Even, even in Raiders. The locker locker right? room. Right, so, uh, but you know, the great thing about Charlie and how I knew that, that what I was doing was making an impact was this was a guy who would call anybody out. The coach, the owner, player. he didn't care. He would call you out. Uh, and he called me out and, and said that I was, you know, you're going to fail like everybody else is going to fail. But the same guy, after a couple of years, pulled me over and said, hey, you know, there's something different here, mm. you know. My wife, our wives are good friends, and you know, your wife is not telling my wife something crazy about, you know. Mm. So what is it? So I had an opportunity to really sit down and talk to him, and this was the same guy because, like I said, Charlie Garner was a little guy, but when he spoke, people listened. Mm. Uh, when I would walk in the locker room, if they were playing a, a different kind of music, he would say, "Hey, t- Mr. Brown is here," mm. and the music would stop. And they would, you know, wait till I left, and you know, the music would start back up again, of course. But, uh, but that's the kind of impact that that we were having. And so, when it was time to work out in the uh, on Mondays and Thursdays when we lift weights, everybody knew it was going to be gospel music, and no one complained about that. Gospel
0: music in the
1: Raiders Raiders locker locker room, room, baby, we rocked it. Okay, so that's that's (laughs)
0: that's hard to imagine, but okay. Here's. I, I want to back you up for a second. Here's another thing I think was cool about when you finally just put that stake in the ground and said, look, I'm going to serve Jesus, I'm, I, you know, and, and I'm going to give my life to Him. Uh, you end up meeting your wife right after
1: that. How two, long was it? Two weeks after I had made that decision, I met my wife.
0: See, I think that is so crucial for us here, <laughs> especially as we're getting ready to go into a, a yes. relationship series next week. Is in the, because here's the, here's the deal. If God had brought her into your life
1: two weeks before… I'm not sure she, she would have liked the old she, Tim Brown. No, she wouldn't have. You know, she, you know, she's bad. You know, she think, oh wow, you would, I wouldn't have failed for that game. No, you would have failed for the game too, <laughs> just like everybody else did. <laughs> you know, she, she wants to tell me, and you know, the more incredible thing about that is, you know, she was coming off a six-month consecration herself. Hmm. So I don't know if I would have liked the old Sharice either. You know, right. but, uh, but it, it was, it was perfect timing. But what I
0: think is so cool about that is that God in His Goodness to Mm -hmm. you actually kept you guys apart till he got you where you needed to be, got her where Mm -hmm. she needed to be, and at the first possible moment when that was done, Mm -hmm. brought you guys together.
1: And and the the more even amazing thing about that story is uh, my good friend Chester McLaughlin, who unfortunately passed away here about six months ago. he had been trying to get me to, he had tried to introduce, introduce me to her a year and a half prior. Yeah. And uh, he, was, he knew her before I did and he would tell me, oh, she, she's good looking and she can cook and she's a nice girl. I was like, Chester, man, I've hung out with you. I know what your idea of a nice girl is. I'm not going there. I'm yeah. not trying to, I'm not trying to. <laughs> nice
0: girl's the one that waits till the second date, yeah, right? right yeah, exactly. uh, okay, so.
1: It's like, no, no, it's not like that, Tim, I promise you, man. You know, she cooks for us and she goes in the room and reads the Bible and all this. I was like, okay, okay. But I wasn't ready for that, obviously. And, and I ended up meeting her at their wedding, hmm. at Chester and Zena's wedding. And, um, you know, once she saw me, she didn't have no choice, you know what I mean? <laughs> 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 That's not what she told me, Tim. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, sure not. Here's the other part I think is kind of
0: cool you just throw it out there. Uh, Chester, who at that time was away from the Lord, mm-hmm. actually, and probably some out of your influence and then other Christians, actually, before he died, oh, ended yeah. up coming to be like, a follower of he, Jesus and commit he his was, life.
1: He and, was an incredibly strong Christian and was doing some incredible things in his life, and uh, you know, obviously it's going way too soon, but uh, he will never be forgotten, that's hmm. for sure.
0: Here's another part of your story that I, I, I just guarantee people don't know, But I, and I just found fascinating. Uh, you and your dad had a major falling out uh, mm. when you were a kid. So matter of fact, from the time you were 13, the time i think you were 25 mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. you were really in essence estranged from your dad you're living in the yeah. same house but you you guys just don't talk you don't communicate he's not acknowledging anything right. that's going on in your career tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah you know when i was 13 uh, my dad uh uh, was working a construction job, working pretty pretty hard, and um, he also played hard. He he owned a nightclub, so he get home he he would get home at four o'clock. By five thirty, he would be out the door and wouldn't get home to twelve o'clock at night or whatever. And this particular night, he came home. Um, he had had a little bit too much to drink, hmm. and I was up late. It was school night. I should have been asleep, so I, but I wasn't. So I was trying to make him believe that I was asleep. So I had my back turned to the door, and when he comes in, he turns off the TV. And when he does, I, I jump up, hey, Pop, I'm, I'm watching that. And uh, I startled him. And in his mindset, because he had been drinking, he was thinking that I was coming after him. Hmm. So his response to that was, you're coming after me? Well, I'm gonna kill you. Hmm. And it took a second for that to really sink in. Did he just say he was gonna kill me? And so we talked for a few more seconds, but then he started to go out the door um, to, to his car. Now, that scared me because, like I said, he had a nightclub. And in this nightclub, every night, he would put the change from the machines in the nightclub in the trunk of his car. And we knew that because, you know, when he didn't give us enough lunch money, my sisters and I would go get the change. We, we'd get our own lunch money, you know? We, so I knew that there was, uh, there was change in the car, but I also knew there were two guns on, on either side of that, on that. So when
0: he's going to the trunk, it's real he's now. to go get a gun.
1: Now it's time to get mama involved. Yeah. So it's mama, you know, I'm screaming mama, you know, waking up the house. And uh, so my mom gets up and she's trying to deal with him and he is just out of control. And, and uh, at that time I am literally cowering in the corner. Because Mm. I am afraid that my dad is about to come in, and if he comes in with a gun, then this whole thing is over. Um, And so, but it's at that point in my life, at 13 years old, what dropped in my spirit was if alcohol would make you want to kill your son, then I'm never going to touch alcohol. Mm. And I've never had a drop of alcohol in my Mm. life. Um, And, uh, you know, God took that, He took that horrific that horrific night and turned it into a great thing for me because Hmm. um, do I play 17 years in NFL if I'm a guy who is out partying all the time? Hmm. I mean, do I get through college? I mean, the University of Notre Dame is this great Catholic college, but I'm here to tell you guys that there's not anything that goes on there, that there's not a keg of beer or some wine involved in it. Yeah. I mean, that's just how they roll. So, I mean, you know, you get to the NFL, young in your career, you're hanging out with Eddie Murphy and all these guys and vodka and t- and all this stuff is flying around your head, mm. and you're able to just pass, it, pass it away. And, and that was only because I thought I may have what my dad had in him. Yeah. And why would I want to put myself in the same position? The that thing I thought I, I was interesting in? is that
0: you told me that the next day Mm. As a 13-year-old boy, you're kind of waiting for your dad to go to sober up, sure, and say, "Hey, son, you know, it was a bad night, right. you know," and
1: and he doesn't do that. No, it was it was far from that. It was stick your finger in his, I mean, stick his finger in my chest and tell me that I wasn't going to mount anything, that I was going to be a bum on the street. And when I went to jail, hmm. uh, not to call him because he wasn't coming to get me out. Wow. Uh, so he literally only had two years of doing that because when I'm 15 years old. I'm in the newspaper, sophomore sensation in, in high school, and I'm doing all these great things, you know? So all of a sudden now, the conversation went from the negative conversation to no conversation. Hmm. And I can tell you that no conversation was almost tougher than the negative conversation. Right. So he's you know, just locking you out of his life. Now it was only take the trash out, and you know, it was, yeah. it was, that was all I was getting. And so you look at what happened, so I get a full scholarship to the University of Notre Dame, um, I'm, I win the Heisman Trophy, Hmm. And he's at the event. He's sitting there clapping and you know, cheesing at the cameras. And right after the uh, the ceremony, um, he doesn't even say congratulations. Hmm. I have no conversation with him. Wow. Uh, so I go to the NFL. I make the Pro Bowl as as a rookie. I break Gale says record, a record that still stands today. Um, I get hurt the next year. Then I, I'm coming back and I make the Pro Bowl for a second time. And it's at that point where I just can't take it anymore. Hmm. So and. Um, so he's in the garage when I come home from the Pro Bowl, in, that, in the garage in the house that I bought for him, hmm. let's, let's, let's be reminded of that. Um, and I just went up to him and I said, Pop, you know, what happened 12, uh, 13 years, 12 years ago is over. Uh, I need for you to be my father. I forgive you for what happened, but I need for you to be my See, father. See,
0: here's what I think is so interesting, because I asked you yesterday, I said, when you said that, when you said, "Dad, what happened 13 years ago happened 13 years ago," mm-hmm. I forgive you. I need you to be my dad. And I here's what I asked you: Did he know what you were talking about? And you, without hesitation, you said, "My dad knew exactly the night I was talking about when
1: I right. did that. He he knew exactly." And now, you know, he didn't still didn't say he was sorry, but he knew what I was talking about. And uh, and and from that time for the next 20 years, you know, we had an incredible relationship. I lost my father last year too. Lost Chester. I lost Mr. Davis. It was a, it was a tough year for me. Uh, but uh, the 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 more remarkable thing that he did uh, three years before he passed away, uh, he had been in the hospital and I had been on the the TBN broadcast and I was doing my thing and I had made the comment about never drinking. But I never connected why I never never drank. And um, so even Sharice had told me some of her friends or one of her friends' mom had called and said. Didn't come out right. Mm. It just sounded like Tim was trying to be arrogant, sort mm. of like, "Look what I was able to do" type of thing. And obviously, that was not my uh, my mind uh, uh, the intentions of what I was trying to do. But when I went over to my father's house, he said to me, "I heard you tonight. I heard you last night." Um, he said, "You need to tell the story." Mm. And I hadn't told that story in 29, 30 years mm. to anybody. Uh, but uh, I knew exactly what he meant. Hmm. because it all made sense. Hmm. If I tell people why I never drink, then it's, I'm not going to come off as being arrogant when I tell them, you know, this is why I never that. drink. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, over the last three years, I've been able to tell the story to, to thousands of people because, uh, and I'm thankful for him, that he was able to expose himself hmm. because obviously this story doesn't make him look good.
0: So here's, here's the part that I think is powerful in that for us is there are some of us who've got relationships that have gone silent. Mm. And there are some of us that there, there was a moment, it was back there, and it happened. And they know what mm-hmm. happened, and we know it happened, and now we've gone silent. Mm-hmm. And someone needs to walk in the garage. Someone needs to say, hey, that was that. Mm-hmm. I forgive you, and I need us to be okay again. And I'm thinking there's some fathers in this room who need to say that to sons. Mm. There's some sons who need to say that to fathers there's some daughters who need to call moms mm-hmm. but we need to walk in the garage
1: no no doubt i mean uh, the, what i tell people now when i when i'm able to speak with young adults adults or whatever is if it kills you if you're dead the lesson is not for you hmm. the lesson is for somebody else you know but if you're still here then the lesson is for you. Now it's time for you to say, okay, this happened to me, but God still has me here for a reason. And mm. it took me till I was really 32 before the light but because I always thought that God had me playing great football so I can get into the, to the NFL Hall of Fame. Mm. That's why I was playing great football. But they still didn't put me in the NFL Hall of Fame yet, so obviously that's not the reason why, <laughs> you know. But I realized when I was 32, 33, that wasn't a reason. Mm. If you're going to be a leader in the locker room, and this is where I would caution my young brother, Tim Tebow, mm. That is, everybody loves the fact that, that you're a godly man, but in an NFL locker room, you have to be a player. Hmm. Guys are not going to listen to you if you're just a guy. Hmm. You know, so I would encourage him to really hone up on your abilities because naturally people are going to attract to you then. So for me, I was in a position where I was playing, I was making a Pro Bowl year after year. I was leading the, the team. I was doing all these things. So when I pulled a brother over and he was like, oh, Tim, you know, I man, you're 33 years old. You don't understand what I'm going through. And then I would tell them about my L.A. days. They would look at me like, you were, I was like, yeah, yeah, I was, you know, I yeah, was that guy. I was that guy. I was that guy. You know, so if God can bring me from that, then he can certainly bring you from where you are. See, I think
0: that. Because, you know, Tim, we look at your career, and the reality is, I mean, what haven't you done? And Mm. and the answer is, the only thing you haven't done is be put in the Hall Mm. of Fame. And I loved that you had said, hey, I've kind of come to peace in my heart that says, whether that happens or not, Mm. whatever God does that, that's probably not why God gave me my abilities, gave me my opportunities, that actually He gave me those so that I could be an influence for Him in the locker room Mm. uh, on that team, and I just think that's such a powerful place to come to. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's like I said, if you would have got up here and said, uh, Tim Brown, he went to college and he played football. Let's welcome Tim Brown. (laughs) I'd (laughs) be like, who, why is this, you know? But the fact that I have these accolades behind my name. God knows that when I left Woodrow Wilson High School in 1983, 1984, the last thing I had on my mind was winning the Heisman Trophy. Mm. Uh, we didn't, never thought about uh, playing in the NFL until going into my senior year when somebody said, you may be the front runner for the Heisman. And I was with my family and we just cracked up laughing about it because like these guys are crazy. They talk about I could win the Heisman. So you start to think things from that, but you know, so when you look at where your mindset was then, and you fast forward to you when you're in your mid-30s or early 30s, and all of a sudden it clicks hmm. that I'm not here because of football. Hmm. I'm here because now I have a 22-year-old guy coming up to me saying that he has some issue. Hmm. And now I'm able to tell him, okay, this is what I went through, and, and relate to him. It, it was a very powerful moment in my, my life. Okay, so share. Tim,
0: here, we're just about out of time, but here's, here's, here's what I want us to hear. Why does a guy like you need Jesus in his life? Because here, here, let's just be honest, you've, you've had fame like crazy. Uh, when we were playing at the golf course yesterday, nobody cared that Lynn Winters was playing at the golf course, <laughs> but they all cared that Tim Brown was playing. And uh, uh, you've, made, you've made crazy amount of money that most of us are never going to see. You've had success in your mm-hmm. field. Mm-hmm. Most likely, we're not going to have that type of success ourselves. But we think we do. We think mm-hmm. we want that. We think that's what we're mm-hmm. all aspiring to. You've already had it, mm-hmm. and in the midst of having it, Tim Brown says, "I still need Jesus. Mm. Why? That Why gave, me, that gave me chills just, you. just hearing you say that,
1: man. It just bounced my shoulders a little bit. <laughs> uh, you know, look. Without God in my life, I am, uh, I am a confused man. Hmm. I'm a man who who doesn't know." Uh, that's basically going as the wind goes. Hmm. You know, I go here, I go, I go there. Uh, I told my wife before we got married, uh, you don't have to worry about me doing certain things because I will always love God more than I love you. Hmm. And now that was a serious commitment, but I realized that if I can just stick to that. Hmm. Now, as beautiful and pretty and all these things and educated as she is, she makes me mad every once in a while. Hmm. You know, and if I, If I put her above God, then what am I going to do? I'm going to react to that situation the wrong way. But if I put God first all the time and if I have God leading me, all the accomplishments that I have mean absolutely nothing you know, because I understand that they were all a springboard for me to be sitting right here today, hmm. you know, and I think what people have to understand is it doesn't matter what accolades you get, how educated you are. A matter of fact, we say all the time back home is, you know, sometimes these degrees can get in, in the way of people because they hmm. get so smart. They think they, they're smarter than the pastor. They're smarter than God. Hmm. You know, sometimes you got to dumb yourself down hmm. and, and allow God to lead your life. Hmm. And, and some people don't like it. I get criticized all the time. I love it. Because I know if, I, if, I make, if people look at me going, oh, he, he, he thinks he's living right. He, well, I, I know I must be doing something right. Because hmm. otherwise, they, they wouldn't be talking, uh, saying those things about me. So I, I realize that this is the most important thing that I'm going to ever do in my life. Hmm. The legacy I'm going to lead. people are going to talk about the football, but my, my wife and my kids and people around me are going to talk about the life I live away hmm. from the football field.
0: Tim, thank you, man. Thank, thank you. you, and appreciate, appreciate
1: it. it. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you guys. Appreciate it.
0: Hey, I'm, I'm going to invite you to grab a seat for a second. I, man, I, I just hope that you didn't sit in a room have a guy like that. Uh, have a conversation and not catch just some huge things uh, that this guy uh, said in the room. And and one of them that I I hope you leave this place thinking about when you walk out those doors is if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, you just heard a guy who won the Heisman Trophy, who went to nine Pro Bowls say, look, I finally figured out that chances are God gave me all of that ability, not for me, but for Him. And that I would take that and leverage that to make him famous. Which, if that's the case, then why did God give you the abilities he gave you? Because some of us in here are engineers, and some of us in this room are teachers, and some of us are just, you know, amazing at music. And Why did God give you the ability that he gave you? Is it for you, or is it possible that he gave that to you that others would see him in you? And is that happening in your life? And then there are some of us in this room that, that, man, you just haven't made that God connection yet. You're going through life, and and the reality is you're striving for popularity, or you're striving to just get that next pay raise and be a little more successful, or maybe get your salary to six figures, or whatever that is. Prove a father wrong. And you just heard a guy who, in the middle of having it all, said, it wasn't enough. When you, when you get it, it's not enough if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't have that connection in your life. So here would be my question. Do you have to live the rest of your life? Do you have to get all the way, get all the promotions, land all that stuff to figure out what Tim Brown just told us? When you get there, you're still going to want Jesus. Jesus. So, what if we figured that out today? What if, what if some of us just said, I get it, I get it, the light bulb just went on. Enough will never be enough if I'm not connected to God. So, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna ask us to bow our heads. I, I'm just gonna lead you in a very simple prayer where you could just say, hey, I, I'm ready. I, I'm ready to have that real deciding moment connection with God in my life. And you could just pray a simple prayer with me. I'll pray it. You can pray it quietly in your seat. It would go something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I have. I've I've been thinking if I if I just did a little more, if I just accomplished something else, if if somebody would just notice me, that somehow that would fill me up and that I would, I would, I would feel like a whole person finally. And I think I just heard that even then I'll still want you. I'll still need you. So here's what I'm just asking, Jesus, would you come into my heart right now? I want, I want to make a real decision to connect with you. So I'm just asking, would you come into my heart, would you come into my life right now and I know I've done stuff, I've done things that have hurt people just like Tim and I, and I know that I've made decisions that were dark and wrong and they were just sinful and I'm asking you to forgive me because I want that real connection with you I want that change my life, touch of God so would you come into my life this I'm praying. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if if you just prayed that prayer with me, we're going to sing another song in just a moment. I'm going to invite you in the seat back right in front of you, there's some cards that just say yes on the top. I said yes to God. And while we're singing, if if you would just take that moment and fill it out. And, uh, And then when we get done and the service is over in just a moment, if you look real close, you can see at every single exit, there's a yes table. And I'm just gonna ask you to take that filled out card, drop it on that table so that we know you made a decision. You said yes to God today. But maybe more importantly, I'm gonna ask you to drop it there so that you know you made a decision for God today. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna invite you guys to all sing and join us in on this last song. Some of you need to fill out some cards.